0: You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. All right, I am here. Aaron is here. This show is presented by Window Nation. If you're in the market for Windows, call 866-90-NATION or go to windownation.com and tell them we told you to call. Barry's Verluga will be on the show uh, today. Uh, We'll get to J.P. Finley um, on Monday uh, as sort of a wrap-up for the Indy Combine. Ah, uh, the snow today amounted to nothing. Those of you that closed schools or delayed schools—that's the decision a few weeks ago was fine. This morning, not fine. Wet roadways, nothing but wet roadways. Uh, and the kids are home this morning. I feel sorry for those of you that have your kids home this morning. Um, let's start with Bryce Harper, clearly, uh, and then we'll get to Barrys Verluga on Bryce Harper, and then we've got. Uh, you know, lots of recap of the John Gruden interview in detail from yesterday, and then Bruce Allen spoke this morning from the Indy Combine. But I will start with the underwhelming Bryce Harper free agency pursuit. It's over. I personally think that this was, in summary... You know, a somewhat embarrassing or humiliating experience for Harper and his agent, Scott Boris.
1: Definitely for Boris.
0: You know, this process over the last few months did not play out the way that they had expected. The market for him was more limited than they thought. And the biggest brands in the sport, or most of them, weren't interested in Bryce Harper. The Yankees, the Red Sox, the Cubs, the other New York team. I mean, the Dodgers and Giants were... Um, But he signed with the Phillies yesterday, Uh, $330 million for 13 years. It's a lot of money. Those of you who want to say, embarrassing, humiliating, Kevin, it's $330 million. It's the largest contract in the history of sports. Of course, it's a lot of money. In In context, however, this wasn't the way Bryce Harper and Scott Boris thought it would go. For this sport, for this market, the market being... Baseball free agency for star players. And I know it was different this year, but in that context, Scott Boris may claim victory, but it's like comparable to a four touchdown favorite, you know, needing a 50 yard field goal to win at the gun. It's a win, but it's not the way they thought it would go. $330 million for 13 years with no trade clause and no opt outs. He's playing in Philadelphia for the rest of his career basically the average per year is 25.38 million dollars it's according to reports the 14th best average annual contract not exactly what they were looking for now now the offer in aggregate is the largest ever breaking the Stanton deal of 13 for 325 the Dodgers and Giants both made offers that were shorter in term, but much higher in average annual money. I'm actually surprised yeah. to a certain degree that the reported Dodgers offer, one of them anyway, that would have amounted to close to $45 million a year for three years. That actually would have been a wow deal.
1: Yeah, that that one actually... I- I think Rosenthal's refuting that one, saying Is that he? It, it, he wasn't quite that high. It was still high. though. It was still much higher than the $25 million. But I agree. I would have, if if I was Bryce, I would rather take that one. But it seems very clear right now that Harper and Boris wanted a win. They wanted, and the only way that they could get the win at this point was the stand deal, even if it means putting, uh, or to beat the stand deal even if it means taking a deal that I agree with you, I think are worse than some of the other contracts offered.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think it would have been perceived as a bigger win if it had been in the 40000000 million-plus range on an annual basis for, for shorter-term uh, length. But anyway, the, the no-trade, no-opt-out portion of the contract is quite a commitment by not just Harper, but by the Phillies. Now, I, it's probably the most surprising part of the deal, the career commitment that Bryce Harper made to Philadelphia – I'm not sure anybody really saw that part coming. We also learned more details about the Nats offer to Harper, which was reported to be a 10-year deal for $300 million. But there was more to it, and John Heyman reported this yesterday, that the Nats' original offer of $300 million for 10 years wasn't really worth $300 million after all. It was worth a lot less in present-day value. About $100 million of it plus you know, a little over a hundred million of it was deferred. Some of it, uh, some of the deferred money Bryce wouldn't get until he was 60 years old. Heyman tweeted that the details of the Nats offer indicated that it wasn't a serious offer, albeit, and he tweeted this, a nice AARP payday, (laughs) you know, AARP, all right, and we're not talking about average annual, we're talking about the senior payday. Um, That is that changes a lot for me, anyway. Let's not forget that down the road, when someone brings up that the Nats made an earnest attempt to keep Harper, they really didn't. They didn't. That offer was before free agency even began, and it wasn't anything that Harper would have accepted. No way.
1: Even if it was ten three hundred straight up, based on if they never came back to that offer, which it doesn't sound like they did. It, they did not make an earnest attempt to
0: keep him around. That kind of deferred money actually raised eyebrows, according to Heyman and others, um, in Major League Baseball circles. Uh, th- that deal may not have been approved, um, you know, because of the present-day value of such a contract. Look, most of you who have ever dreamed about hitting the big lottery, you know, the, the $300 million-plus uh, lottery uh, 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 on a on – one of those crazy Wednesday or Friday nights whenever it's played you've done the math before you take it in one lump sum you don't take the annual payouts anyway uh, it's i'm curious as to why the, the nats weren't sincerely interested in keeping a former mvp who they drafted and developed and the answer's probably easy some someone in the organization, or maybe everybody, or a majority of of them, the learners, Mike Rizzo, et cetera, just didn't think he was worth what they were looking for. It's probably not any more difficult to read out than the learners. They pencil everything out to the nickel. Ted Lerner had a chance to buy the Redskins in 1999, but he and his financial people didn't think the team was worth any more than $600 million, so they bowed out. All right. It's now worth between two and three billion dollars today. That was a mistake. By the way, a terrible mistake for all of us. Wouldn't we much rather have the learners owning the Redskins than Dan Snyder? But back to Harper. Um, Let's not forget from a Nationals perspective, down the road, if he ends up becoming a consistent, a more consistent player in his late 20s and early 30s, which, by the way, I think is possible, and he becomes a perennial MVP candidate, that he wasn't with the Nats because of his inconsistency. He was an MVP, but he had up-year, down-year, up-year, down-year. But let's not forget that the Nats weren't overly serious about keeping him, that this wasn't a high-priority keep. Therefore, when you view Harper from that context, he really didn't have a choice to stay here. Not that he wanted to stay here, and I'm going to get to that in a moment, but he wasn't really given a choice. You know, it's similar a little bit to the Kirk Cousins offer after the 2016 season when the Redskins really didn't give him a choice. I'm not sure he would have accepted a real offer anyway, but they never gave him one. The reaction to Harper's departure in this town included, in my mind's eye, and don't take this personally, some of you, all right? Others, you can take it personally, included a ton of fake hurt and fake outrage. You know, I watched a bunch of local news last night, listened to plenty of radio. I've read a lot. Lots of cliche, you know, man and women on the street interviews, anchors on TV, callers on radio. This hurts. This hurts so much. What a traitor to go to the Phillies. When he comes back in April in a Phillies uniform, he's really going to hear it from us. Come on. A significant percentage of Nats fans don't even pay attention when they're at the games. The thousands of fake fans in the best seats wearing curly W hats with their heads buried in their phones as foul balls whiz by their heads. Those people are so angry, so hurt. Give me a break. Have you been to a Nats game and sat in good seats with all the lobbyists and the Hill workers with their thumbs pounding away on iPhones and for a $100 bucks could not name more than four or five players on the team? Harper, Scherzer, Strasburg, then they'd get stuck for at least 10 seconds. It's not all of you, all right? It's not all of you. Some of you are really into it. Many of you, though, many of you, you know, are actually part of the reason Bryce Harper wanted to go somewhere else. He wanted to get paid, yes. He wanted the headline of the largest contract in the history of the sport, yes. Yes. But he also wanted a better baseball town to play the rest of his career in. A place where it really matters. It doesn't matter as much here as it does in Philadelphia. It just doesn't. I've been to a half dozen minimum Nats playoff games at Nats Park. I mean, how many have they had? They've had four years times two to three. It's been eight, nine home playoff games, something like that. I've been to most of them. I've been to the majority of them. All right, And I've done this rant before where in all of those games, at some point, either me or somebody close to me was told to sit down with a two-strike count late in the game. Eighth inning, tight game, big at bat for the Dodgers or the Cubs or the Giants or the Cardinals, 2-2 count, sit down, I can't see! I mean, seriously, it was embarrassing when that ballpark was a third full at the end of one of the most thrilling postseason games in Major League Baseball history. The the 18-inning loss to the Giants. It got cold. It was really cold. I was there, I remember. But that stadium at the end of it was a third full. You think he's going to look up into the stands in the 15th inning of a playoff game in Philadelphia and see a a stadium two-thirds empty? Not likely. The fact that it was even a question about Metro being open at the end of a playoff game is laughable in a real town, in a real sports town, a real baseball town. People leaving in the eighth inning of a playoff game to get the last train home. What a joke. You don't think he noticed that? Small time stuff. He wanted big time. We're small time. He wanted the money. He did. He also wanted a real baseball town, a real sports town. I'm sure he liked it here. Philadelphia takes this shit seriously. We don't. We have an interested fan base. We're not an emotionally attached, passionate fan base when it comes to most things here. I say that and I'm from here. I wish it were different. And maybe it will be one day. When it comes to the Nats, there are reasons for it. We didn't have baseball here for 30 four years and it's only been back for 14, the Nats draw pretty well. Harper was a big reason for that. But while Harper, I'm sure liked Washington, I don't think he disliked Washington and I'm sure he appreciated the fan base. Do you think he's really concerned about his return to Washington in a Phillies uniform next month? Like I'm hearing all this talk, uh, you know, all this, Ooh, early April, what kind of reactions he going to get? Like, what's Bill and his girlfriend, Linda, who both work on the Hill for some congressman, what are they going to do? Wear matching t-shirts that say, Ban Bryce? Are they going to boo real loudly? Did you see, Aaron, what happened to John Tavares and his return to Long Island last night? That was awesome. All right, that's a fan base that's into it. Look that up on YouTube if you want to see a former player returning to a real, emotionally attached fan base, Long Island style. It was threatening. Nothing like that will happen here. And I'm not even advocating that it does happen here. There will be a ton of Philadelphia fans in the ballpark when he comes back for his first uh, game in Washington. Trust me.
1: Supposedly yesterday, 5,000 tickets were sold for that first game. Of course. Probably mostly from Philly fans.
0: He's going to Philadelphia. He's going to a real sports town, a much better baseball town. There have been reports in recent months that this is what he wanted. He wanted to play in a place where it was truly important. We like the Nats. It's fun to go to the games. It's fun when they win. Not many feel super depressed when they don't. He's going to have a rude awakening in Philadelphia. He wants a good sports town. He wants people into it, but let's see how he handles their media. Our media, not very tough. You know, despite what and Jay Gruden and, oh. and Bruce Allen and all the Redskins. It's not that tough of a, of a media market. What?
1: I, well, I was going to say, I bet you at the introductory press conference, he gets a question about what took him so long yeah. and if he really wants to be there. He's going to get negative questions the very first press
0: conference. Philly will cut his throat figuratively, all right, not literally. They'll crush him on a daily basis when he's hitting 250. He's going to get what he wants. He's going to get the visceral, the emotional fan attachment, the daily reaction to every at bat from the night before. You know, when he does something good, he'll be great. You know, Joe and Cherry Hill, Steve from the main line, they're going to call in and say, he's better than Mike Schmidt. But when he's on a two for 27 streak in July and the Phillies have lost seven in a row, he better be prepared to stay home a lot. They'll hate him when he tweets about his love for the Cowboys. They're going to hate him for that. But they'll love him like nobody else will love him when he smacks a two-run shot in the bottom of the, eighth of, uh, of a, uh, bottom of the eighth of a playoff game against the Dodgers. Perhaps this will be a good thing for the Nats. I doubt it personally. I don't think they're better as a team or an organization without him. But for those that say the Phillies have been a rival, no, they haven't been. That's total hyperbole, exaggeration. There's no history of pennant races with the Phillies, no playoff history with the Phillies. So Cole Hamels threw at Harper when he was a 19-year-old rookie. Big deal. You ask a longtime Phillies fan, they hate the Mets, not the Nats. Maybe Harper to Philly will in all of the moves the Philadelphia Phillies have made maybe it will develop something real like maybe we'll get two or three years of legitimate August and September pennant races and big regular season games with Harper on the other team meaningful games you know i'm i'm just going to say that this Harper thing for Nats fans most of the fan base will barely even care by the time we get to July but if you get you know The good that could come out of it is if the Phillies are good and the Nats are good and both would appear to have a chance to win the National League East, we could have a pennant race in August or September. That could create a rivalry, but it doesn't exist now.
1: The Nats have never had a pennant race. They've either won it going away or they've
0: yeah. I think I think the market has missed out because it has not actually lived through a pennant race. As far as the deal goes, I know the analytics people scoffed at a huge deal for Harper. They'll point to a few good years, but several average years too. You know, too inconsistent, not even, you know, nowhere near Mike Trout's league. Trout, by the way, a free agent in 2020.
1: That's the thing that's craziest about this. He wants to get the largest contract ever that's going to uh, hold up for a maximum of two years. Trout's going to destroy that contract.
0: And he might destroy it by signing in Philadelphia and playing with Harper in that outfield. It's possible. He's from Philadelphia. Right? Oh, yeah. Uh, Harper may not be Trout. Um, but Harper does have star quality, you know, and qualities, I guess. You he's know, a bigger star than Trout. Yeah, for starters, you know, you do know what his upside potential is. It's the MVP. You know, he plays hard, he wants to win, he's a good teammate. He may not be a natural leader, but he's got natural charisma. He's going to be missed here, you know, uh, not in such a, you know, children are crying that Bryce Harper's gone. This isn't that kind of a town. The Nats are less interesting without him. It doesn't mean they won't be a good team without him, but I wouldn't say as some have that they're obviously better off without him. I don't know that that's true yet. I actually would not, you know, I would not, you know, discount the possibility that his best years are ahead of him, that he becomes more consistent. Soto Robles, you know, all of the, you know, those two players in particular make this less worrisome from a baseball perspective. They've got a good team. They've got excellent starting pitching. Um, but anyway, you know, one more thing, and you mentioned this to me, Aaron, before the show, and I'm gonna ask Barry's Zerluga about this when he comes on. But, you know, it's one of those things where knowing what the Nats offer was now, which was I don't want I don't want to say what John Heyman said, which was it wasn't serious. But it really wasn't an offer that said, we really want this to work out. Bryce
1: it, Harper was not accepting that offer.
0: Period. No chance at that time would Bryce yes. Harper accept that offer. No, uh, Look, we we didn't think he'd accept just 10 for 300 straight up without all the deferred money that we now know existed as part of the offer. And certainly not back in offer. November. And right. He, he, he wanted to get to free agency. And based on what we know, they never came back with one Light. another. Anyway, um, Barry's Verluga will join us in a bit, and we'll talk more can, can, about be, be, Bryce Harper. That, I just, I oh, just what, wanna... what, what, what I was going to say to you. What, yeah. I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought there for a moment because you brought this up before the show. Given what we know now about the Nats' offer, why didn't they trade him? Yeah. Why I... didn't they trade him if they had a really good deal? And I'll I'll ask Barry, you know, about the deals that were perhaps on the table at the trade deadline. They were still technically independent it, race it,
1: it, technically but look they, they had two chances to trade him they had the offer which we didn't know at the time the Astros made an offer which included a top 100 prospect a pitching prospect and a couple other guys then later remember they put him on the um the post the the waivers in the post trade traded yeah. and the Dodgers claimed him supposedly offered Yassiel Puig this was you know when the Dodgers August 22nd, they were seven and a half games out of first. They were six games out of the wild card. They had no chance at that point.
0: Well, that's not true.
1: Six games out of the wild card and had to pass four
0: teams. I, I to know, get there. but but it, it's only August first. No,
1: it, August twenty second. Oh, was August twenty second when the Dodgers was. Okay. Made. If you want to say the Astros, which was the much better. Not the deal, trade
0: deadline was July thirty first. It is,
1: but then afterward you can put t- uh, players on waivers. A team can claim them, and oh, okay. you can try to work out a trade if that's the case. Well,
0: I mean, that's one of those things. Like th- that's why I said, you know, let's not forget that Harper really didn't have a choice to stay here. You know. D- you, you can say that maybe he should have come back and they should have negotiated and maybe the learners and Rizzo would have gone higher. I think people know enough about the learners to know they aren't going much higher than that, that offer. That much deferred money probably was a bit off-putting to Boris and to Harper and basically told Boris and Harper all they needed to know, which was they're going to have to look elsewhere for a real deal. Um, All right, I want to get to uh, some of the Redskins news from the last uh, two days. Jay Gruden and Doug Williams spoke to the media yesterday. We had some of that as we were going through the show. I went back and listened to the entire Jay Gruden interview, which lasted uh, 26 minutes, I think. Um, plus. And then Bruce Allen spoke uh, this morning. And I'll just tell you real quickly on the Bruce Allen front, the headlines from from the Bruce Allen interview this morning is that the Redskins were never involved with Joe Flacco. All right. He said never had any interest uh, or expressed interest on Joe Flacco, which is when this happened, I said to you, Aaron, look, I'd love to be able to tell you that I'm hearing stuff, but what I'm hearing is that people are surprised that that got reported, um, that they didn't know anything about it. And one person in particular that I talked to would have known. Um, but I didn't, you know, I didn't dismiss it, but I, there's no way I could confirm it. But, um, I believe Bruce that they really didn't show, uh, any interest in Joe Flacco. Um, the other thing is is that, is that they've already met with Kyler Murray. They've met with a lot of players in Indianapolis, but they did sit down with Kyler Murray and, he was impressed, uh, as Jay Gruden was uh, as well. I wanted to focus more on what Jay Gruden said. Um, and let me just say this as, as a big picture thing on the Redskins and their communication uh, with the media. Jay Gruden, by far and away, and it's not even close, is the best person to be in front of a microphone or microphones for their organization. All right. Bruce gives you hardly anything. You know, he's trying to always pivot and, you know, create, you know, uh, get you moving in another direction. And it's just, it it, more times than not, it's just not a lot of worth there in an interview with Bruce Allen. So Jay Gruden is likable. He's direct. Um, he'll answer stuff. He's smart enough to know what not to answer directly, but how to handle an answer so that he doesn't just shut it down rudely. Jay Gruden's their, easily their best face of the franchise. I think he's an average coach. I don't think he's a very good coach. I think they could do better at head coach somewhere down the road, maybe. Um, well, they could do better. I just don't know if they could actually hire somebody better. The, the point is, listening to Jay Gruden yesterday for 26 minutes, it never got old. It never got tiresome. Jay's a good dude. He's got some issues. But he's a good dude, and by far and away, he's the most comfortable and the best person to talk to about this organization. Now, a couple of things that he said that I wanted to play for you. The, the first was he was asked about needs on defense. And I want you to listen to this answer because I found it very uh, very interesting, especially when you put it side-by-side with Bruce Allen in recent months, uh, recent weeks, saying that they're so close, that they're close. You know, the team and the organization is close. Listen to Jay Gruden answer this question about needs that they have on defense. Listen to where it goes.
2: Well, obviously, uh, you know, safety's a major priority force, I would think. You know, HaHa's a free agent, and we have Everett, and obviously Apke coming back from his injury, Amante. But we probably need another guy, whether it's haha or or whatever, or free agent or uh, you know draft pick. But linebacker, inside linebackers, an issue. Pass rusher with Preston being a free agent is uh, obviously a priority for us, without a doubt. Offensive lineman, we already know that that's a priority. We know the quarterback's an issue. We know the receivers an issue. So we we need to upgrade our entire roster.
0: Jay Gruden just listed. Six of the nine position groups on the team that they have a need for. He started at safety, he went to inside linebacker, went to outside linebacker, pass rusher, went to offensive line, quarterback, wide receiver. I would argue that he missed on corner, you know, and maybe even tight end. Uh, But the only three he didn't mention were defensive line because they don't have a need on the defensive line right now. That is clearly the strength of this football team. Not a bad place to start a building process having young, dynamic talent on your defensive front. That's great. Um, But he didn't mention defensive line, corner, or running back. I guess tight end, too. So six of the ten position groups he's got a need for. He laughed a little bit about that, uh, as well. Um, I, I, thought, you know, you put that side by side with Bruce Allen, who tells you how close they are, you know, and Jay went on a little bit later on in the interview and said, you know, I, I know I was, I listed a lot of positions in need, but we like our guys. We like what we come, what we have coming back and coming off of injured reserve. Um, all right, this was Jay Gruden on Colt McCoy. Uh, it was a really good question by Tarek El-Bashir, and I'll let you listen to the question and then the answer, too, because Jay, one of the other reasons I like him um, in, in these settings is he's pretty honest most of the time, unlike uh, the rest of them is it about Colt that makes you so confident that he can he can win games as a starter his record isn't that great and he's been injured a lot yeah he has and it's really
2: good for you to notice that but uh I've been around him for five years and I could be you know really ignorant I just seen him throw the ball for five years in the offseason and training camp um uh, I just I know that he was he's been fired up to get an opportunity we finally got one it's like letting a animal out of the cage he ran right into the you know he ran right into the wall got hurt and got he just got to slow down the process uh which he will but I, I have total confidence he's got a great knowledge of the system he's comfortable with the guys that we have he's a great leader great competitor he can run he can move uh, and he can make all the throws so but he's been hurt and hasn't done it like you said
0: Howard. so that was Gruden on Colt McCoy some real honesty there that you know and I think it also I, there were he and bruce both and doug williams both spoke about you know first of all the complex issue surrounding alex Smith's injury and the you know the, the situation that they're in—that they're approaching 2019 right now a, a bit blindly. There's still some hope that Alex Smith can be the quarterback that they traded for, whether it's next year, late in the season, or in 2020. They clearly haven't given up on him, but at the same time, the odds are he's not going to be available, certainly at the beginning of 2019, and more likely than not, the majority of 2019. So you have to plan for that. You got to have quarterbacks and OTAs and in mini camps and in training camp. And right now they only have one under contract. And that one under contract is Colt McCoy. Now, uh, we learned from Jay Gruden yesterday that Josh Johnson had an ankle injury. I don't remember which game he injured his ankle in, whether it was the Jacksonville, Tennessee, or Philadelphia game in. But he, he essentially said he's still recovering from that, but that he likes Josh. And, you know, they're talking about the possibility of bringing Josh back. But even if they bring Josh back, what you heard from him yesterday, too, um, and you heard from Bruce this morning, is that free agency is a a a possibility for the Redskins right now. And I don't think that they were talking about Josh Johnson. I think they were talking about a quarterback off another roster, you know, a a quarterback that's not on their roster or wasn't on their roster as a free agent. And, you know, Jay was also asked about the money, and he said, well, that's an Eric Schaefer, Bruce Allen thing. And Bruce Allen, you know, this morning when talked about, you know, how much is invested in in the quarterback position with Alex Smith counting for $20 he sort of danced around that a bit. But if the Redskins really are, and Jay admitted that he he had evaluated all of the free agent quarterbacks, and was on his way to getting through all of the college quarterbacks, he'd gotten through five of them that they were planning on meeting in Indianapolis. So they're looking at this and they're saying, "All right, we we got Colt McCoy. Um, Jay likes him, but admits that he might be ignorant to what Colt McCoy's you know upside really is. I think he's also speaking very honestly." Um, about the way he feels, and I think it's an indication that there's always been a little bit of push-pull on Colt McCoy. Jay loves him. I think the rest of the organization thinks the way I do, which is Colt McCoy's a nice backup, but if you start him for 16 games, even on a really good team, let alone in a subpar team, uh, that you're not going anywhere you know, with him as your starting quarterback. But they've got him... But they don't have anything else right now. They're going to draft somebody. I feel now more confident than ever they're going to draft somebody at some point. I don't know that it's 15 overall, and I hope they don't reach for a quarterback at 15 overall. And Bruce Allen actually had a comment about that this morning, too. He's like, there's a lot of good players, and we're not, you know, if the quarterback is the highest-rated player on the board at 15, then quarterback it will be. But if it's somewhere else, if it's at another position, they're going to draft the board. I like to hear that. It's the way I I think. I think you make big mistakes, and Casserly and Bethard over the years have said that you make big mistakes when you decide to draft away from your board and draft for position. Um, But I, I I think we've got to really seriously consider some of the lower end uh, free agent quarterbacks. Nick Foles is not a possibility. I mean, could they create room with a long-term deal with it backloaded and not much, you know, accountability from a cap standpoint in the first few years here with Alex Smith, you know, counting big money on the cap? I guess it's possible. Um, I don't think Nick Foles is a possibility here, but Teddy Bridgewater is not going to cost as much as Nick Foles. Ryan Fitzpatrick is not going to cost as much as Nick Foles. The the problem with Fitzpatrick and maybe even Bridgewater. The Fitzpatrick possibility is a short-term deal at 36, 37 years old, whatever he is. So if it's a short-term deal, that means it's all going to count now. You know, so harder to restructure a short-term, or to structure a short-term deal to alleviate cap, you know, pain um, versus a long-term deal. I I don't think Fitzpatrick's a possibility. What about Tyrod Taylor? You know, Taylor is a quarterback and... I said this last year about Tyrod Taylor. I like Tyrod Taylor. I think he's a good fit for Jay Gruden's system. Cooley said this, though, about Tyrod Taylor. Once you get to your third or fourth team, it's the player, not the team. So, you know, Josh McCown, he's 40. You're going to bring in Josh McCown to perhaps be a mentor to a young, a backup to Colt McCoy and a mentor to a young quarterback? That would be obviously as a replacement for Josh Johnson. Um, And McCown, I think, has some ties to to O'Connell. You know, you got to start looking for some of that stuff as well. Um, Those are your guys. You know, those are the people you're talking about. You're not bringing Mark Sanchez back, all right? You're not signing. I mean, they liked Kevin Hogan. Remember, they, they had Kevin Hogan. Kevin Hogan's a free agent. Brock Osweiler's a free agent. Geno Smith is a free agent. Trevor Simeon is a free agent. Case Keenum might be available. I think we've got to start thinking about, based on the the, the last 24 hours of, of interviews with Doug, Jay, and Bruce, that they are going to look for a veteran in free agency to sign. And I think it's going to be someone other than Josh Johnson. Now, maybe they can't work out a deal that they want. They're not going to overpay. We know that Bruce does not overpay. And there may be better options for Bridgewater or for Fitzpatrick or for Josh McCown even or Trevor Simeon. There may be better options. Um, but uh, And Bruce isn't going to overpay. And they probably feel like they can always come back to Josh Johnson if they don't find anybody else. You know, Josh Johnson and the rookie that they draft, whether it be in the first round or the third or fourth round, that would give you three quarterbacks for camp. And then they can add, you know, another undrafted free agent rookie uh, as a fourth quarterback for training camp and OTAs and minicamp. Because they need quarterbacks. uh, Jay told us, too, that they need offensive linemen. That they're going to be very short for offensive linemen in numbers-wise when they get to OTAs and minicamp. But anyway, I, I think the free agent... Situation, I may be, you know, too, I may be trying to read between the lines a bit too much, but I heard an indication that they are evaluating and they are thinking seriously about signing a veteran free agent quarterback to go with Colt McCoy. All right. To potentially compete with Colt McCoy for a starting position, or if it were someone like Josh McCown as a possibility, someone to mentor a younger quarterback and back up Colt McCoy. So we got to start thinking about that here in the next couple of weeks. I mean, you know, its I don't think it'll be Nick Foles. You know, the only thing about Foles is it would be a long-term deal. Philly's not franchising him. He's going to be an unrestricted free agent. And if you did a long-term deal with Foles, you're basically saying... Alex Smith's not coming back. That's the other thing you got to consider is what we've also heard here is they don't want to give up and they're not giving up on Alex Smith. I'm sure deep down they're thinking more about Alex Smith as a starter in 2020, not 2019. That's not going to happen. But if you bring in Nick Foles and you give him a long-term deal and you backload it, You know, you're able to keep Alex Smith on the roster and keep Foles, but you're basically saying Foles is your starter moving forward. So why wouldn't you just cut uh, Alex Smith, take the pain, totally backload the Foles deal as much as you can um, so that it's a, a, a low cap number in 2019 and 2020? I don't see Foles. I don't see Foles. But I do now think that, you know, a Fitzpatrick or a Ty Taylor or a McCown or somebody like that is in play. And if they can't get one of those guys, that they'll go to Josh Johnson. And I also think that there's going to be a drafted quarterback. I just don't know when. I hope it's not in the first round if the guy that they really like isn't there. Uh, Bruce Allen also made one other comment that I wanted to mention. And that was, he mentioned that we're going to have between 9 and 12 players that we will acquire in the draft. When you say, they have 9 right now, so when you say 9 to 12, He's not thinking about trading up. You know, that's almost a clear indication in his mind today. He's not thinking about trading up. If anything, he's thinking about trading back and acquiring more picks and more players. And you know what? With their salary cap situation, with the needs they have, they need to add a lot of talent via this year's draft. Talent that's going to compete for playing time, if not starting time. So when he said that this morning, 9 to 12 players, new t- new players via the draft, I immediately wrote down, they're not trading up. At least that's not their plan now. All right, um, I want to tell you real quickly before we get to Barry's Verluga about Scentbird. Scentbird's a luxury fragrance subscription service. It's a, It's a way to discover new colognes or perfumes without having to buy an entire bottle. Um, and this is important because good colognes and perfumes are expensive. And you're not really, many of you aren't sure exactly what you want anyway, so you might want to try a few things. Um, if you want to smell great and you think you've got good taste, but picking out the right scent isn't easy for you, Scentbird makes it easy. They've got more than 450 designer brands for you to choose from each month: Gucci, Tom Ford, Kenneth Cole, Burberry, Prada, and a lot more. You choose the cologne you want to try, they send you a 30-day supply. I tried it. My wife tried it. It makes sense. It's easy. Not sure what type of scent you're looking for? Well, Scentbird makes it easy for you. You can easily sort the colognes and perfumes by brand, by occasion, by season, by style, and more, and you can check out their user ratings and reviews on any of their colognes. Scentbird's actually got a quiz you can take, uh, which will help you discover a more personalized recommendation. Here's the offer right now for my listeners. Get 50% 50% off your first month today. That's only seven dollars and fifty cents for your first fragrance. Go to Scentbird.com slash K S D C. Use my code KSDC for fifty percent off your first month. That's Scentbird.com. S-C-E-N-T bird.com slash K S D C for your try, your first try. Uh, on your first perfume for just seven dollars and fifty cents. Sign on and smell amazing. All right, let's bring in Barry's Verluga from the Washington Post, who uh wrote about Harper and has covered all of this uh throughout. And you know, I, I guess I, I wanted to start with, you know, did the did the reporting of of the Nats offer being a significant deferred money deal tell us in some way that they were never really serious about keeping Harper? It certainly puts the offer in
3: a different context than we had viewed it before. And and I'm disappointed in that. I wish I had pushed a little bit more to know the details of that. It didn't seem relevant. But we, we've learned this about the learners in the past. They don't like to pay you a dollar today that they could pay you in a year or five years or 10 years or whatever it is, because they can take that dollar today and invest in themselves and then pay you with the profits from it. Um, It's just the way they do business in real estate. At some point, I thought that they would change the way they do business in baseball, but they haven't. So um, I think I had been thinking and a lot of people had been thinking, Okay, hey, the Nats made a good run, at him. 10 years and $300 million is a completely fair offer. It's not the record-setting um, total package that Giancarlo Stanton got from the Marlins that the Yankees are paying now, um, but it is a higher average annual value, and it's a completely fair offer and made it seem like they were trying to keep the player. When you learn, as we did yesterday, that they're kicking the can down the road not just the way they did with Strasburg and Scherzer in in deferring money over seven years um, beyond the end of the contract, but as one source told me, you know Harper would have been finally paid all this money when he was 60 years old. That changes the tenor. Now, does that mean the the Nats didn't want him? I don't know that I'd go that far, but it it takes away some of the good faith that we thought they had in their offer. I think it's a different look to what that offer was. It could have been a starting point for negotiations. That didn't turn out um, to be the case. And I I have a greater understanding why Bryce Harper left for 13 years and $330 million um, than I would have. Uh, had that just been a straight-up 10 for 300.
0: Yeah, I completely agree with that. And I think the other part of this, learning what we learned about the Nats offer, is when you combine that with the timing of it, which was well before free agency started, there was more likely than not the expectation from the organization that there was no way he would accept that. You know, he I, had free agency hadn't begun. They never came back to that offer, and I just think, you know, in hindsight now, it really looks to be a a non serious attempt to keep Bryce Harper.
3: So here's what I would say, though. I don't want to go full revisionist history on this. I, I would say that what if if the Nationals wanted to keep Bryce Harper or at least present the the picture that they did, you know, we would be critical. Of them saying, you, you know, you didn't even make an offer when you were the only team that could negotiate with him. They, it was in their interest to be aggressive with him, and and put the ball in his court and say, look, we we're willing to work with you on this. Here here's a, an offer. Let's talk. I would I would have chastised them for not have gone having gone after them when they were the only team that um, could negotiate with it. Because then if Harper in his heart of hearts, really wanted to be here above all else. he It's on him to go to Boris and say, Counter. look, we've got a starting point. Yeah. Can you work for me? I don't work for you. Can we get something worked out here? Um, I would have thought that those deferrals would have been part of the negotiating uh, if you're the Harper-Boris camp. and You say, well, wait a second. We see what the numbers are here. But can you reel those in to, in a time when I'm not going to be an old man when I'm when I'm receiving this money? Can can we get it more in line with the way that the Scherzer and Strasburg deals are are structured? Um, I just feel like that would have changed the the conversation a little bit.
0: It may have um, the present day value of their offer would have been 240 million in aggregate, which you know again before free agency started that wasn't anywhere near what was perceived to be market value for him. And, and so, you know, I, I think we, we both feel differently about their offer. Maybe I feel more strongly than you do that it was less serious of an offer. But what I would ask you as a follow-up is why didn't they really, really want him? Why weren't they aggressive trying to keep him? And who was it specifically in the organization that didn't want him? And I'm, well, putting that, it, I'm putting it in, in the way I feel. You you feel slightly differently. But clearly, there there wasn't this insane interest in keeping him. So I would just say
3: that didn't want him. I don't think there's anybody in the organization who's saying, well, I don't want that player. Um, but you can't grade it without deciding what the price is, right? right? So the Nationals internally thought that Bryce Harper was about a $30 million a year player. He was worth about $30 million a year, which is by the way about 5 million dollars a year more than he'll make in in Philadelphia they internally that was their evaluation now they also know that paying one player 30 million dollars or 35 million dollars or whatever it would have ended up being in a certain to a certain extent constricts the way you can build your roster and and the most immediate impact and we don't know how patrick corbin is going to pitch here and maybe he'll be a bust or maybe he'll be a a huge success like like scherzer scherzer has been Um, but the the quid pro quo is essentially if bryce harper had accepted that offer whatever the offer was before free agency would patrick corbin have been added to the pitching staff the answer i've been told was most likely not we wouldn't have been able to spend um that much money on a on a free agent pitcher the argument becomes then, is Harper taking up too much of your payroll? Um, are you gonna be above the luxury tax? I don't care about the luxury tax on a, in a given year. I think it's an, a non-issue that should not be dwelled on. When it becomes an issue is the third and fourth year you go beyond it when you're, when you're taxed at a much, much higher rate and it starts to become real money and you have to work harder to get under it to restart the clock again, that becomes a problem because it's harder to get under it when you have more highly paid players, such as a Bryce Harper at $30 million. So that's kind of meandering. um, But that's how I would kind of, I don't think there was somebody in the organization saying, I don't want him back. I think it's a, a global way of thinking that if he comes back, you can't pretend it doesn't have an impact on the rest of your roster.
0: I would add to that too. I think the learners um, historically in business, and even if you go back to when there was a possibility that they could have been one of the meaningful bidders for the, for the Redskins in 1999, they pencil everything out to the penny, to the nickel. Sure. And if they don't feel like it's the right value, they're not moving forward. Um, do we, I don't know that, I've seen or read, heard or read this in the last 24 hours, but was there ever any other conversation between the Nats and Harper in recent weeks? You know, after that original offer, did they ever reconnect Boris and the Learners to say, hey, you know what, Uh, the market, I mean, Boris wouldn't present it this way, but the market isn't exactly what we thought it would be. Um, You know, we're we're still interested potentially in something with you guys. Did that ever rematerialize? So
3: we're we're aware of one conversation between Scott Boris and Ted Learner, I believe it was last week, um, I don't know of anything that happened between the Nationals and, and the Boris Harper camp um over the weekend when the Giants and the and the uh Dodgers. And the Dodgers seemed to get involved. Um I don't have the specifics on that. It it goes against logic to say that Boris wouldn't circle back with the 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 team, the incumbent team and, and say, This is what we've got. Can can you beat that? Um, that's in his interest to do but I don't know for a fact that that happened and it doesn't sound either way it doesn't sound like there were significant negotiations um, like you know, another offer from the Nats once that initial one went off the table.
0: You know, you um, you're gonna understand <clears throat> this. Um, and and it's how I opened the show. Uh, in in talking about everything that happened yesterday, a big part of it was, you know, there had been some reports here recently that Harper wanted a real baseball town. He wanted a real sports town. Um, and you know the the money was a big part of it, and the the label of the the largest aggregate deal uh, in in sports history in, in, in major league baseball history was was a part of this. But Philadelphia is a legitimate sports town. Do you agree that uh, or did, did you have a sense too that while I'm not saying he didn't like Washington and he didn't like living here, but that he wanted to be somewhere where it was really you know a, a passionate, you know fan base where it was super important a hundred percent i mean a thousand percent that is
3: matters to bryce harper you know he he would make an occasional comment um that you could read between the lines on you know uh I think it was when the Cubs series wasn't sold out a couple of years ago because they priced everybody out. and, And he said after the game, well, I can understand that, you know, it's a good time to go to the beach. It was like 68 degrees that day, you know, like he, he noticed that on a Tuesday night against the Marlins, it was a dead atmosphere. Now he, it's, it hasn't been buzzing at citizens bank park in recent years because they've the Phillies have had lousy teams, but People always speculated, like, well, I mean, Jason Wirth, his good buddy, would tell him, you don't want to play in Philadelphia. Like, you know, they boo me when I go back there. That's the opposite. I mean, Wirth knows the passion of the fan base during the height of the Phillies run, which came before the Eagles won a a Super Bowl title. And, you know, Jimmy Rollins and Ryan Howard and Chase Utley and Jason Wirth, to a certain extent, they won't have to pay for a beer in, in that town for the rest of their lives. Those people love them. Um, love what they did were passionate about it in in the moment that stuff appeals to Bryce Harper yeah, it does. now will you know how will he handle being booed if he if he's hitting <laughs> you know 148 through the end of April I, you know who knows um, i think it would light a fire with him because he's that kind of person player he appreciates passion in sports and well that wasn't maybe a strike against washington it was always something I had in the the back of my mind that could be a plus for Philadelphia in his mind
0: yeah I, it's going to be interesting to see how he deals you know with Sal from from Cherry Hill you know taunting him and his family when he's on a two for twenty five streak in July um, one last thing with respect to uh, actually I've got a couple of others um, and and then I want to move to a different topic but Do you think the Nats regret not trading him at the deadline, given all of what we just talked about, knowing what their offer ended up being? Um, Do you think that they they misstepped by not trading him? Well, that's an interesting one, because they
3: were told, um, the front office was told, look, we'll see what you could get for him. The season obviously wasn't going in the direction that everybody had planned, and it made sense to do your due diligence on what could you get for Bryce Harper for a contender uh, at the time. If you recall, we reported this um, later, uh, they did have a deal in place with the Houston Astros. I don't know exactly what the return was, but the front office got off the phone with the Astros thinking they had a deal in place. They had to get... um, approval from ownership, Mark Lerner, newly in control of the club from his dad, was in the room, and Mark Lerner couldn't pull the trigger on a Bryce Harper deal. Now, does that mean he regrets it now because of the way it turned out? Um, I I have no idea. The baseball operations department was willing to make a trade, a baseball trade, for Bryce Harper. I'm sure, given how it turned out now, they would love to have whatever prospects they were going to get back in return. But remember, it's—I mean—the return you get for a, a two-month rental is not what you get when you're trading a guy that's going to be a member of the other team for, sure. for two years. So um, that makes it a little a little murkier.
0: Um, from a baseball perspective, uh, and I'm going to ask the same question from a business perspective. But from a baseball perspective, are they better off without him? I have no way you can say that. I just, I don't, I just don't see how you can
3: put the lineup on the field on opening day without Bryce Harper and say this one is better than the one with Bryce Harper. Now it's a complex equation too that affects the clubhouse. Um, There are members of that clubhouse who didn't love the way that Bryce didn't always run out every ground ball hard or uh, seem to lollygag in the, in the outfield from time to time. Um, You know, Bryce would argue, I'm preserving my body. People have criticized me for running into walls too much and, and putting myself on the disabled list. I'm trying to, you know, walk that fine line of self-preservation versus busting it when I when I need to. That's a debate we can have forever and ever and ever, but as a skill set and I'm, you know, I'm biased in this way. I think Bryce Harper's best offensive seasons are ahead of him, not behind him. I think there's more MVP type seasons than there are struggle type seasons. Like it was at the beginning of last year, I might be wrong on that, but that's how I view it. Um, because I just think he's got such dynamic talent and when he, he's comfortable in Philly and in that ballpark, I think, you know, in his worst year, he, he runs into 35 homers there just cause you can pop it up to right. And the ball will carry out. And then if he, when he's at his best, he'll, he'll hit them out to left center too. Um, I think he's he's a guy who, at 26, has the best still ahead of him.
0: I agree with that. Um, from a business perspective, are they they can't be better off without him? Can they be? I mean, it, it no. It, he's a, he was a legit star that drew people to the ballpark and drew eyeballs to television.
3: I, I agree with that, but I also think, you know, we're we're not even 15 years in with this team being right. back in back in town. But I do think – I think what matters to the fan base most right now is advancing in the playoffs and getting to a World Series and winning a World Series. And whoever the collection of players who did that, um, who eventually does that, they're going to be happy with whoever those people are. Um, I, I think it's become more than just about I, – I was surprised as somebody who's kind of been in Harper's Corner and, and sees what I think is his real value – I was surprised at the notes and tweets and messages I would get from members of the fan base that were really willing to move on and saying, I'd rather sign Rendon. I'd rather sign Trey Turner. I'd rather keep Soto and Robles here, even though we don't know what Soto and Robles are over the the long term. I was just surprised that a guy that is the face of the sport in a lot of ways, and I'm not saying he's better than Mike Trout right now. I'm just saying he's so marketable. He's Got that star quality. I was surprised at how many fans were, if not, you know, celebrating that he's walking. Were totally willing to to see him walk and shrug their shoulders and say, you know what, look at the roster we have. Happy to compete with you, Bryce. All
0: right. Lastly, and I'll pref on, on Harper. I'll, I'll preface this with three hundred and thirty million dollars. It's insane. It's an insane amount of money, but. Um, Barry, after this you know, rather lengthy process where the interest, at least the perceived interest in Harper, seemed at times to be underwhelming, um, maybe even a bit embarrassing for him and Boris, ultimately did they save face with this deal?
3: Well, I don't know how you go back and say to the Boris Harper camp, wow, that's an underwhelming deal when it's the richest contract in the history of American professional sports. I mean, I I, I understand the average annual value is maybe not what people thought it might be. And, and if you look at it one way, he's being paid a little bit more than $25 million a year. I mean, that's Jake Arrieta money in a three-year, $75 million deal with, with Harper's Phillies. I mean, you could look at it that way and say, He's not being paid like a true superstar, like Zach Greinke, who holds the record for AAV in baseball. I think it's 34 million on a shorter deal. I think his AAV
0: um, is 14th. I thought I read that uh, early this something, morning. Something that makes yeah. sense to me.
3: That makes. I haven't run those numbers, but that that makes sense to me. So you can you can parse it that way. I just think if you take Harper at his word, and, and I'm going to Clearwater tomorrow for his press conference. And, and he he will say, and he, I believe will mean, I'm really happy with this deal because I never have to go through this process again. I have no opt outs. I have a no trade clause. I'm going to try to lure people to Philly to win here because they know I'm not going anywhere. Um, I think that he can frame it as you're going to tell me I got a bad deal when I'm getting paid more than anybody in the history of baseball or American sports have been made? That I'll take that bad deal every time.
0: I think if he had taken that 135 for three with the Dodgers, as it was reported, which, you know, ends up being 45 a year, it would have looked better. I mean, we're we're talking about you know we're talking about perception. The the man's already wealthy, um, and now he's got three hundred and thirty million heading his way in the next thirteen years. But um, anyway, I I think I think that that's something that people uh, get too hung up on. I, I think ultimately, just the time it took and the lack of interest, Barry, from the true heavyweights—Yankees, Red Sox, Cubs, the other New York team. Um, I think the the expectations were much higher for it to be more of uh, of a frenzy, and and it didn't really materialize in that way for them. Well, I mean, you're talking about the
3: landscape of baseball free agency at the moment, too. I right. mean, there was not a frenzy for Manny Machado, uh, who got Fair ten point. for three hundred million with San Diego, and players are concerned about that. The the final numbers for both Machado and and Harper are fine, but I think that. Uh, or more than fine. Um, but I think that a lot of players are concerned that about the environment that you're describing where it doesn't feel like a frenzy. it used to be like okay, you're elbow you know you want to get in there in November, make your first real pitch that ownership has taken a more um, a sitting back approach to free agency and that goes to all levels of free agents, not just the marquee guys um, but the nationals are are you know kind of the outlier at the moment. They identified. Patrick Corbin is a guy that they wanted to go get and they went and got him. That's not the way that most of baseball works right now. And that's why you've got kind of a, I mean, this is off topic, but it's, you've got a contentious labor situation approaching when the current CBA ends after the 2021 season.
0: All right. Switch topics. Um, Redskins first. Um, everybody's back you know here we are it's march 1st we're getting ready for free agency the indy combine this weekend the whole thing and then the draft and and everybody's back in this organization and from a big picture from your perspective big picture uh you know looking forward if this ends up being the season that I think it'll end up being, you know, the NFL is impossible to predict, but double-digit losses seems like it's on the table for 2019. Do you think a year from now we're, we're, we're talking about a completely different organization with people running it and coaching it?
3: Well, it's totally possible, completely possible. Um, and maybe if you went to Vegas and found odds on Redskins' front office reorganization um that would be the favorite but the thing that i mean even though instability has marked this franchise for you know going back to the last super bowl championship um i think the question that we have to figure out and and um that was addressed a little bit in in indianapolis yesterday before any of that is what direction are they going in in at quarterback. Um, you know, Last year at this time, they were getting ready to introduce Alex Smith. I was looking at this before the Harper News broke yesterday. I was planning on writing about Redskins and quarterback, and I was going back and looking at some of that stuff. And Doug Williams stood there last year at the Smith introduction, which I think was March 19th, saying you have no idea the impact of QB stability on an entire locker room. They don't have to worry about – is this guy guy going to be here next year is he in you know he's referring to cousins of course, and they were thinking, well, we've got Smith for four or five years, um, even though he was going to be quite old at the end of that deal well now that's garbage I mean that's completely cast aside and and you know it's obviously cast aside because of Smith's injury, but we were getting to a point in Smith's career here, just ten starts in where you really were going to start to look at the production and wonder is this the guy you want in three years so in a lot of ways they haven't had stability at that position forever essentially because they won three super bowl titles with three different quarterbacks they um even when they had cousins who sent all these records uh you know franchise records for them that was a year to year week to week as we you know we lived that referendum um, every single week with him, that didn't feel stable. Obviously RG3 wasn't stable. You go through, you know, John Beck and Rex Grossman and Patrick Ramsey. I mean, what? when has this franchise had a franchise quarterback that you could um, think about for years in the future? It's been a long, long, long time, and now it's March of 2019, and before we get to how bad next season might be, you have to decide who's going to be under center and is it going to be a rookie or is it going to be a free agent or is it going to be Colt McCoy? How are you going to handle that? That's a huge question.
0: All right. Uh, let's finish up with some college hoops because sure. for those that don't know, Barry went to Duke and he's a college basketball fan and an ACC fan and, uh, sure. and, fo- and follows Maryland as well, living in this market and having to write in this market. Um, I'll start with your alma mater, Uh, can they win the national championship if Zion Williamson doesn't play? I don't think so. And, uh, I mean, they could win any game without him for sure,
3: but you're asking them to win six without their most dynamic player. And, and, you know, think about it this way. A lot of Duke teams in the past have – you know, people have worried about them being a team that could fall in the second weekend because they relied so heavily on the three-point shot. shot, And if you go – if you go cold on one night with those bad shooting back drops in, in um, big arenas, uh, then, then you can fall to just about anybody. And that happened, that has happened time and time again to them. This team doesn't rely on the three point shot because it's not very good at shooting the three point shot. So if you take away their best inside presence, a guy who, who can get to the rim at, at any time, um, Yes, Barrett can get there. Yes, Reddish can get there. Yes, both those guys can hit three-pointers. I just don't – I think you're taking away too big a weapon that's too big a a part of their operation um, for them to win six straight games in the tournament. Will he play? My guess is he will. I mean, that's the flip side. I I, I don't know when. I don't have any inside information. um, But it's not been a a dire – Uh, forecast down there, it doesn't seem like it's like, oh, you know, we hope to get him back if we made it to the Final Four. I mean, whether it's the regular season finale against Carolina in Chapel Hill, or you give him four more days off um, before you start the ACC tournament, if I were, again, with no inside information, if I were a, a betting person, I think that I would put... Um, one of those two games I'm
0: i know not, you real uh, I, I know you realize this that even if he were legitimately hurt or chose not to play the rest of the way duke still has three first round picks on for sure team for and, sure yeah for so sure. um uh, so let, let's let's move to maryland you've, you've watched them this year um what do you think their upside is
3: well, I mean, if you had asked me 72 hours ago, I would have said, like, wow. Well, I mean, they got a, you know, they're really intriguing. They seem to be improving. They they have won the games for the most part, other than Illinois in um, in New York that that they should have won, and and they're getting better as the season progresses with some weapons in in fernando and smith if he's more jalen smith if he's more consistent um i like callen i think that wiggins has given them good minutes um there there are a lot of things to like there and then they go and lay a complete egg at penn state and you're just like well wait are we are we kind of back where we always are with mark turgeon's maryland's teams which is wondering, you know, one year is the young guys hit a wall and they couldn't you know, they couldn't fight through that wall and then there's, you know, injuries um the next year Herder's sophomore year um that's that's stopped them. Um I'm a little bit T B D on them right now just because of the of the Penn State result and I'm really, really interested to see how they play Sunday um in Michigan. College Park against Michigan. That should be fun.
0: Yeah, you know, um, you know this. We've talked about this before. It's just interesting to see. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, a lot of old ACC fans still probably are entertained by the Maryland fan base that gets so frustrated and thinks we're so much better than we are and deserve so much more when it comes to a coach. But Turgeon's under fire. I mean, there's no other way to describe it. It doesn't mean anything will happen. And in fact, I don't think anything can happen. Um, but uh, much of the fan base would love if this season ends before the second weekend of the tournament, and I know you get a lot of this too, they'd love to see a change. It,
3: I mean, there's, as you know and as you just said, there's a difference between loving to see a change and being able to pull one off. I mean, this this um, athletic department is still in a great deal of upheaval from the death of Jordan McNair and and D.J. Durkin's ouster, and I think that internally and within the, the – um, you know the overall school provides some some cover for Mark Turgeon. I also think, you know, even if the season ends badly, they're almost certainly going back to the NCAA tournament. Um, I I don't think that they're going to gas a coach after he returns to to the tournament. Now, the fair question is, and this is kind of the existential um, question of being Maryland all the time, is is, is what are you? What if you are ranking college coaching jobs where does maryland fit it's it's my belief as a old person that maryland does not rank highly as highly as a job in the big 10 as it did in the acc where you're pitching i got two games against duke i got two games against carolina or whatever It's, it's only one game each year um you were in a basketball conference now Maryland is in a is a basketball school in a football conference and that diminishes the job in my mind to, to a certain extent I, I think it's a really interesting question
0: I think it was a to- I, I think it was initially I think it was a top 15 job when they were in the That's ACC. That, yes um, i, yes. Do, I and when I say job that's different than the discussion about whether or not it's a top 15 program all right you know at various points in time it was and it it may have been a top 10 program at at various times but it was always a top 15 job I haven't thought about it in that respect from um, you know being in the Big Ten it's still a basketball school it's still in a hotbed of recruiting talent and it still has tradition and a fan base that r- is intense and passionate and wants to win um you know it's still a good job you know if it were to come available it's still a very good job but i think t- i think you made a good point it's because i feel it as a fan myself um there is something missing and there has been for the well, last five years so i would just say so
3: five years is a good, st- uh, good um Good way to look at it because that 's how many seasons have been in the, in the big ten my My theory and this is not a provable theory but it 's more of a kind of feeling around the program and knowing college basketball is. If you're Maryland and it's Tuesday night in January and you've got to drive through Beltway traffic to try to get to that game, if you're a Maryland fan, there's something more appealing about playing NC State or Wake Forest than there is playing Purdue or Iowa. It's you've got a history, you've got David Thompson and those Maryland games back in the – There's and that does that make you get in your car and drive through the traffic to get there? Maybe not. Um, but you're asking fans to identify the biggest home game on Maryland's schedule, the most attractive home game on Maryland's schedule this year, Virginia to me was the Virginia game. No doubt that happened in November. That's not the way it's supposed to work. It's supposed to, that's supposed to be a really nice appetizer to an awesome home conference schedule that your fans are fired up about. And that's just not the way it's worked in the big 10 so far.
0: Thank you. As always, I'll talk to you soon. Appreciate it, Kevin. Thanks a lot. Quick word about window. Three, two, one. Quick word about window nation. Uh, before you wish for this winter and crazy cold weather to end, and it's going to continue to last actually for this weekend and probably all of next week, um, take a look at your windows because if they're old and drafty, it's time for you to replace them. Why now in the dead of winter? Well, that's because. You get the best deals uh, now. Window Nation's award-winning installation teams need work. The factory's running at half capacity, which means insane savings opportunities for you. For the next two weeks, if you buy two windows, you'll get two free. That's two windows free with every two you buy. Buy four, get four free. Buy eight, get eight free. There is no limit. Plus, Window donations making this offer, you'll pay nothing for 12 months, nothing for a year, no down payment required, no payments required, and you'll pay no interest for 12 months. You'll keep the Window Nation expert installers in the factory busy, which will allow you to save thousands. Call now, call eight six six ninety nation or visit windonation.com. That's 86690Nation or windownation.com. You're wasting money on high energy bills by not calling. Get two free for every two you buy with no limit, nothing down, no payments, no interest for 12 months. If you're thinking about Windows, I promise you you won't go, go wrong with Window Nation. Tell them I told you to call. I've gotten Windows from Window Nation twice in the last ten years. It worked out for me. It'll work out for you. 86690 Nation or WindowNation.com and tell them that I sent you. Uh, all right, a couple of other things I wanted to get to before the end of the show. Did you see this quote from John Gruden? I think I did. The Raiders coach. So John Gruden at the Indy Combine, I guess, was asked about how hard it was to replace a guy like Khalil Mack, and he said, it's hard to replace a guy like that. It's sensitive. I'm still sensitive about it. I do know this. My brother, right, he's referring to Jay Gruden, the Redskins coach, my brother didn't get anything for Kirk Cousins except a compensatory pick. At least we got some picks. We got a chance to do something with them closed quote. Of course, you know, m- so many of you who are with me on Kirk Cousins sent me this uh, quote from John Gruden um, on, on Khalil Mack. It's amazing that his own brother would take a shot at him, but you know why he did? Because he knows it wasn't his brother's decision. It wasn't his brother's decision to fuck up the whole contract process there, all right? It just wasn't. So, um, John Gruden was taking a shot at, you know, Bruce Allen guy that he used to work closely with, with dance uh, at Dan Snyder and at the entire organization. And of course, of course they should have traded him and gotten something for him. Uh, funny though, that he would take that shot at the Redskins. Look, Khalil Mack is a lot better of a player than Kirk Cousins. You know, it was a much more difficult decision to trade, khalil Mack. also they what did they get for for mac what was the exact compensation because whatever they got it probably was in total more than the redskins would have gotten for cousins it, they got a they got a first right from the bears and more than that right was it a first and third it uh the
1: full trade uh bears the bears got khalil Mack and a second round pick the raiders got a 2019 first round pick 2020 first round pick 2023 third-round pick, and 2019 sixth-round pick. Yeah,
0: I mean, a hell of a lot more. Yeah, I, yes. I, I didn't, yeah, they were getting two Clearly, first round I picks. didn't remember the details of that trade uh, very well. But um, a, a, a much better haul for Khalil Mack than the Redskins would have gotten for Kirk Cousins, although I think we know now that the 49ers would have given up a first-rounder. Not number two overall, the Solomon Thomas pick, but the one that they had later uh, in the first round they would have given up uh, for Cousins. A um, couple of other... Uh, things that I wanted to get to. Um, Last night, just real quickly, James Harden had 58 points um, for Houston in their win over the Miami Heat, who had beaten the night before Golden State. I'll get to Golden State in a second. But just saying that James Harden had 58 doesn't do it justice. I would just urge you to just go watch the highlights of that game on ESPN.com or wherever else you want to watch them. It is some of the threes he made. He he was 16 of 32 from the field, 18 of 18 from the free throw line, 8 for 18 from behind the arc. Also had 10 assists 58 points and 10 assists and seven rebounds in the game. Some of the threes were like six feet beyond the three point line. Um, Golden State lost to Orlando last night. You know, I, I mentioned yesterday on the show that they probably are just not even interested in this regular season. They went to Orlando last night and lost by seven. Um, that's shocking. They got outscored in the fourth quarter by 18. They were Orlando was down 11 heading into the fourth quarter and won. Uh, they, they were down by, um, well, yeah, they were down by 11 and ended up winning by seven in the game something most of you are not following and i know a lot of you don't even care about this but do you know that golden state only has a half game lead on denver denver lost last night to utah the denver nuggets are a potential number one seed in the west when we get to the playoffs which we're only six weeks away from now we're only six weeks away from the nba playoffs golden state is really coasting right now like they are not in in first gear They they will be when we get to the postseason. I don't think there's any doubt about that. But I just don't think they care much. I mean, you know, Golden State was always money after a loss. And they went and lost again last night. They have now lost four of their last six games. And we're not talking about losses to great teams. They lost to the Magic and the Heat. They did lose to Houston. uh, But they they lost to Houston the night that James Harden didn't play. They lost to Harden. Uh, they lost to the Rockets. The night that Harden didn't, Harden sat out that game. Um, one other th- quick thing uh, on basketball uh, before I get to a quick Maryland-Michigan uh, mention. Last night, Cal beat Washington. Now, that doesn't mean anything to most of you who aren't following the Pac-12. The Pac-12 is truly a horrendous basketball conference. I mean, the basketball league of Arizona and UCLA. None of those teams are going to the tournament. Washington's in first place in the Pac-12, and they played the last-place team, Cal, last night uh, on the road um, in a game in which Cal was 0-15 in the league and hadn't won a Pac-12 game since last February. Cal won the game. They beat Washington by three. Uh, This could be a one-bid league game. It's possible that only the champion will go to the tournament. I think Washington will get an at-large bid if they don't win the Pac-12 tournament, Aaron. I think they will. It's not a lock. But I don't think it's a lock. It may be a one-bid league. It's no better than a two-bid league. Arizona State has an outside shot to get in. They lost last night, though uh lastly maryland plays michigan it's a it's the biggest home game maryland's had in in a few years um you know you heard barry say the biggest home game of the year was the virginia game i do feel that way uh, to a certain extent but in terms of their conference games this is probably their biggest big 10 game in two or three years at least yeah uh michigan destroyed nebraska last night destroyed them but they've also got a couple of players banged up i was
1: gonna say a player got banged up yesterday
0: matthews didn't play mm-hmm. and bristinsky i think uh got hurt during the game um you know i i think maryland's gonna play a lot better than they did against penn state i won't they i better. can't i can't tell you how i truly feel about the game until the point spread comes <laughs> out but i would imagine that michigan's going to be no more than a two than a two-point favorite
1: yeah i was thinking two to three
0: You know, I think it's going to be somewhere around there. People are going to understand that this will be a jacked-up building, and, you know, hopefully the weather, uh, it could be a problem Sunday. Um, But that it should be a jacked-up building, a a pumped-up house, even after the Penn State loss. Uh, Maryland's got two home games left, and they need this one because I think the Penn State loss drops them probably probably to the five line if not the six Patrick line Stevens has them on the six today and Lunardi's got them at the five today um but you know a win over Michigan and Minnesota to finish up the regular season and they're right back on the four line with a chance to go higher in the Big Ten tournament uh this is crucial too to their chance for a double buy to win these two games to end up the to, to finish up the season they'll still have a chance if they lose to Michigan. Uh, by beating Minnesota to get a double bye, but I think they lock it up with two more wins um, over Michigan and Minnesota. I'm looking forward to Sunday. Um, It's uh, a... You and I, and our like Maryland people, you know, whether you went to the school or you're just a fan of the team, there is really and truly, even in the Big Ten, you know, there's no better live sports experience than a big... Maryland game at Xfinity Center. It is, it can be a spectacle. It is a heated, loud, um, electric environment, Uh, and I think it'll be that way Sunday. You know, it's been that way half dozen to a dozen times during this this Big Ten run here for five years. Sunday feels like to me, Aaron, like it should be one of those days. And Maryland in though in those situations in that building when it is revved up like that. They tend to be pretty difficult to beat. And they're a pretty good team to begin with. So is Michigan. Uh, But it'll depend, really, on Michigan's health, I think, to a certain degree. Uh, What else did I have? I think I have. Oh, yeah, Jason Witten, unretiring. I'm not shocked by that. I think you know a guy like that that took so much criticism in the booth you know, he took the opportunity to to retire when he retired because this Monday night this Monday night football thing was sitting there waiting for him. By the way, I've seen all these different names thrown out there from Lewis Riddick to Nate Burleson to Peyton Manning to all these different names, and I personally think that the big change they have to make is play by play. I just cannot. I'm just not a Joe Testator fan. And of the three, I thought Booger McFarlane was the easiest to listen to. Yeah,
1: Booger's definitely going into the booth. He's He's sh- he
0: should go into the booth. Yes. And if it's Tessator, I would just leave it as the two of them. Unless you can get Peyton Manning. Right. You know? With
1: which they will throw if, all the money they can at Peyton Manning. And if you to try get, to get Peyton
0: Manning, God, I, I pray it's not Tessitore. It, it might be, though. Um, but, uh, I like Nate Burleson. I I like Lewis Riddick as a, as a television personality and a broadcaster. I do. I I don't know that I would love him in the Monday night booth. I think Nate Burleson is very, very good on television. And as an analyst, Uh, I've watched him a lot on the NFL network here over the last few years. I think he does a very good job, uh, a really good job. And He's got some personality, and I don't know, that's a big chair, which clearly Witten couldn't fill. The, the whole booth last year was a disaster. Um, as far as Witten going back to Dallas, they needed him last year. They could have used him last year. You know, it's a good football team, even with some of these suspensions. It's it's a it's a football team that's loaded, you know, defensively, that has some good young defensive talent, that's got a chance to get better in the draft. Um, that has a Pro Bowl running back, a, a, a wide receiver now, and Amari Cooper that appears to be coming into his own. There, you know, Dallas is on paper. You know, it's Philly and Dallas, and then it's the Giants, and then it's the Redskins. I mean, if you're just evaluating objective objectively, all right, the Cowboys and the Eagles are one A, one B in terms of talent. I would probably go Philly and then Dallas. I like the Giants chances to be an improved team, but I felt that way last year. And then there's a big drop-off in terms of roster, you know, from those three teams and then the Redskins, um, for 2019 anyway. All right. Uh, that's it. Uh, I don't have any, uh, strong, suggestions on gambling uh because i haven't seen any real lines yet for saturday or sunday i'm not looking at the nba stuff some of you have asked me do i bet the nba i really don't i during the playoffs i i do but during the regular season unless there's something that really sticks out as odd in terms of a line that just really doesn't make any sense i rarely bet the nba uh, and I never bet the NHL. Caps have a big game tonight. That's the last thing to mention, right? They've got the Islanders tonight in a, in a first round uh, showdown uh, tonight against the New York Islanders, uh, and in uh, a stretch of schedule for the Caps that gets pretty interesting here over over this final stretch. Tonight's game uh, is uh, in in New York, and then you get a Caps team that then has to go to New York on Sunday to face the Rangers, and then the Flyers on Wednesday. Um, so you got three straight on the road, and then after that you get two at home, but then four after that on the road, which includes games at Pittsburgh and Tampa Bay. You know, they still have Tampa three times on the schedule. They still, they still have the Islanders twice, uh, so a, a big stretch for, for them coming up. Actually, you know what? That, there's nothing else on tonight, right? Nothing else on. Caps at Islanders for first place? I might tune into that. I don't watch I don't watch a lot of regular season hockey, but that might be a good one to watch. Actually, they're not tied for first because uh, the Islanders won last night, so the Caps are still 2 points behind the Islanders. In fact, I think everybody in the Metropolitan Division is on a win streak right now. So the Caps are 2 points out of first, but only like, you know, 5 points ahead of 5th, which I think is the Penguins. Um, But a big game for them tonight. All right, I'm rambling. Have a great weekend. Uh, the snow on Sunday, coin flip. It's either going to be a big rainstorm or a big snowstorm. Or maybe a mixture of both. I'll tell you on, on Monday what it turned out to be. Have a great weekend.